You're listening to the B&H Photography Podcast. For over 40 years, B&H has been the professional source for photography, video, audio, and more. For your favorite gear, news, and reviews, visit us at bnh.com or download the B&H app to your iPhone or Android device. Now here's your host, Alan Weitz. Greetings and welcome to the B&H Photography Podcast. For this week's episode, we took our mics to Photoville 2017 in beautiful Brooklyn, New York, in the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge, and spoke with several photographers and curators about the photos they were displaying at this year's festival. Before we get started, a little reminder, if you are not a subscriber to our show, do so. Go to iTunes, check out our show notes on our landing page. All of our episodes are there. We're getting into like episode 90-something and everything is posted along with photographs, additional text, and other odds and ends about our show. Now, if you are not familiar with Photoville, it's the brainchild of United Photo Industries, and it utilizes repurposed shipping containers as exhibition spaces to showcase a wide range of photography. Over the course of an afternoon walking through Photoville, we saw images presented by the United States Marine Corps, the Bronx Documentary Center, the Magnum Foundation, and the New York City Municipal Archives, and series that address issues of migration and immigration, the aftermath of war, race in America, Chinese identity, and hip-hop history. Photoville is more than just great photos and hard issues. There are professional workshops, panel discussions, a like a tent, printmaking courses for kids. They even had a beer garden under the shadow of the Brooklyn Bridge. This free event is an immersion in contemporary photography, and it's no wonder it's become one of the most attended photographic events nationwide. And remember, you can still attend this year's Photoville. It runs over the course of two weekends and opens again Thursday, September 21st, and runs through Saturday, September 23rd from noon until 10 p.m. and Sunday the 24th from noon until 8 p.m. We cannot speak highly enough about this event, but we'll start our show by letting Laura Manos, executive producer and co-founder of Photoville, tell us her thoughts on this year's showcase. Anyway, so this is what, the sixth year of Photoville, right? Sixth year, yeah, in Brooklyn Bridge Park. And you've grown... Park, wait a second, that's not Brooklyn. I'm Australian. Australian Brooklyn Harlem. All right, okay, that that works, that's good. (laughs) Um, This show has really grown over the years, no choice about it. What's new or different this year for people who have been here before? What can they expect to see that they haven't seen before? Well, obviously, uh, we have hundreds of stories from over 500 photographers, uh, over 100 partners and curators. So these are all new stories, hopefully, which are very new so people can discover stories from all over the world. We have a really, actually, we have an activity tent in our beer garden so parents can, you know, have a nice drink. And then actually, uh, you know, get the kids to do cyanotypes, pinhole camera workshops. Uh, We have hands-on workshops, talks, everything is free. Um, Activities, tours, you name it, free. And our nighttime projections in our Smorgasburg beer garden for this weekend. I tell you, just the concept of of keeping your kids busy doing cyanotypes while you down brew, that's a phenomenal, I like that, it's a very interesting concept. Yeah, I'm I'm a young mother, so now all of a sudden my uh, my head is turning like, what do you do with the kids when I want to like... Cyanotypes and have a beer, I mean, it makes sense. But it's also for adults as well, so it's (laughs) it's for everybody, but it's more family friendly. You know, we have a lot of hard-hitting stuff here, but I think, you know, uh, our motto is never underestimate your audience, and that's with all the projects we do with our fans 
Kids Project out in the park and all over the country. So people want to, you know, see these stories and especially with what's going on in the world these days and with social media, our kids are smarter than it looks. And right now we've had 500 kids walking around, running around the I've site. I've seen a lot of young people This is our today. education yes. day. So we uh, work with New York City middle and high schoolers. We're uh -huh. working with the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment. And basically we do free tours. They're actually seeing the work. They're actually um, getting, uh, having talks by many of the artists. And then we're inviting young after school programs to actually talk to these kids. So we're working with ICP, we're working with Bronx Documentary Center, and their students are talking to these other students about their experiences. Did it start with the Fence Project or no? It, it actually started together. So basically, uh, we started six, seven years ago as part of the Dumbo Arts Festival. And we actually had four shipping containers in Dumbo. And the president of the park loved it and was like, you need to do something in the park. And they gave us 80,000 square feet and we had no money. So basically, but who gives you that much space in New York City on the waterfront? And Sam Barzillet, my other co-founder, and Dave Shelley had this also great idea because there was all so much construction and development in the park. They wanted to do a really cool photo fence. So that's how that grew. And that was one city, Brooklyn, six years ago. And now this year we're seven cities. We're actually expanding to, we're gonna have 10 cities next year, including Canada, Calgary, Canada. And now there's, you have container, exhibits from the United States Marine Corps. You have issues uh, of women from Africa. You have immigration issues. Uh, there's the widest variety imaginable. Is there a one guiding principle or mission in terms of the photos that are shown here? Uh, really great stories. Um, we, we have, we're not preaching to the converted. We're not your typical photo festival where it's mostly the photo community. Uh, and also like a lot of the public. I mean, we're gonna have over 80, 90,000 people come through the next two weeks. And majority of that is just everyday folk who are just walking in. And the way we say it is, the reason why we love Brooklyn Bridge Park so much is that, yes, we're a destination, but we want people to bump into us and go, whoa, what is this? And that's what we get. And we get people exploring this and having conversations and meeting. And also, we always tell all of our partners, use this as a great marketing platform. You're gonna reach out and see, speak to people you would never speak if you were just in a gallery in the Lower East Side or somewhere else. So this is, you know, for us, it's not only it's great stories, but we want our artists and partners to really get the most out of this opportunity. Great stuff. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. I hope cool. you guys can come back and just enjoy well, yourselves. Bring them all over the weekend. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to bring the family on Saturday, actually. And it's free. Donations are accepted, and it's free. Yes, it's free, and we very much encourage donations, purely because we want to keep it free for everyone who may not be able to afford $5. That's we wandered over to the exhibit called Insider Outsider and spoke with one of its co-curators, Daniela Zaltzman. In addition to being a documentary photographer, Daniela's founded Women Photograph, which serves as a resource for and database of women photographers. This container is called Insider Outsider. Tell us about that. It's two different, two, uh, 
topics here on Two Walls. Not two different topics, but two parallel exhibitions. You know, my mandate is to talk about the need for greater diversity in the storytelling community. And part of that conversation is saying, well, why, why do we need diverse perspectives in our storytelling community? And to address the fact and interrogate the fact that we all have a particular relationship to the people and stories that we cover. So when we asked members of Women Photograph to submit to this exhibition, we asked them to self-identify the images they were submitting as being part of an insider relationship to that story or having an outsider relationship to that story. So based on that, we then we curated and then we separated the work out into two parallel exhibits. Was it 50-50 being outsider, insider as far as the interests? Exactly. Really? Yes, I was shocked. I expected, I all of my work as a documentary photographer has been as an outsider. I document indigenous communities and LGBT communities. I am neither, so I have always felt as a journalist like a complete outsider, and I think many journalists do. Um, but women tend to be, and this is a generalization I recognize, but many women I think tend to be drawn towards longer, slower, more intimate storytelling, and often, particularly non-Western photojournalists, somehow end up also being pigeonholed into reporting on issues related to their own communities. And also I would make a note that we allowed photographers to self-identify, so I would maybe disagree with some of the classifications that photographers chose for themselves, but we allowed them to make those distinctions, and they did. Okay. Um, so, you know, but it was, the submissions were almost exactly 50-50 insider outsider, which I thought was fascinating. Most of the photos are would fall into the category of news or documentary, but there are a few that look like fine art photos. Does that represent more or less the submissions and uh, the type of photos that you're interested in and women photograph as an organization is interested in? It represents the makeup of women photograph. We are, we're not necessarily solely focused on photojournalism. We are focused on storytelling. So I think sometimes that can take shape in slightly more, what would be considered more fine art photography, um, but it is at its core about telling the stories of the people and places and issues around us. Where do you divide documentary from telling stories? I don't think you do. I think I, I think there are subtle and constantly shifting definitions of words like photojournalism, like documentary photographer, like news photographer. I think those things are amorphous and not necessarily clear. So for me, it's I think storytelling is a, a better way to break it down because that's where I feel we need to be conscientious about diversifying our community. That's where we are affecting young people in how they see the world and the lens through which they see things like war and politics and entertainment. And that's where I believe that we need to make sure that we have just as many women as men photographing and telling those stories. And can you uh, tell us a bit about Women Photograph, uh, the organization, when it started, uh, a mission if there is one yet, and some of the members? So starting last year, I, I'm lucky, I'm a documentary photographer, but I'm not very reliant on editorial commissions. Most of my work is funded by grants from nonprofits, and so I have a fair amount of freedom. I am not necessarily tied towards keeping editors happy, which means I can say things that piss editors off. And I was feeling increasingly that I was feeling increasingly that there is this completely preposterous imbalance. Um, I think there's there are a ton of different diversity issues in the photojournalism world that span things that you know race and class and sexual orientation and religion, but I'm focused on gender, it happens. Um, but you know, the state of the industry world press report tells us that roughly 15% of news photographers are women, and that's preposterous. And it's also dangerous. You know, in a country where young women grow up knowing that there's never been a female president, that's toxic enough already, but if they're continuing to consume news and consume stories and learn about the rest of the world only through a male lens, that 
continues to further sexism and patriarchal institutions. Um, so it is really important to me to have a conversation about why that continues to happen in the 21st century, why 85% of our documentarians are men, and about how we can change that. So I was starting to interrogate photo editors gently about why this was continuing, why organizations like the New York Times and National Geographic and Time Magazine were hiring so many men. And the response I was frequently getting was, well, we don't know where to find women photographers. There aren't that many. We can't find a woman photographer in Afghanistan. So I put together a database of 650 independent female photographers with at least five years of professional experience based in 87 countries around the world. That's all? That's all. And the next time a photo editor said to me, well, I don't know where to find them, I said, I, I made this. Look, take, take a look at womenphotograph.com. I have a resource for you. It is filtered out by continent. I've got a database. There's the public website, which is sort of a, a nice gallery where you can just browse and look. And there's also a private database that has been sent out to 300 photo editors in the US, Europe, Australia, pri primarily Western outlets, um, that has uh, information about their, it's got their phone numbers, whether they've done hostile environment training, what their, what languages they speak, what their geographical areas of expertise are, any piece of information you could want to know to hire is in that document. And how do they respond to that when they say there are none, we don't know how to find them, and you throw this book on their desk? Some of them have started changing. Not not all, but some of them. And you know, there are people I am slowly working on to you know interrogate their hiring practices. And there are some people who still have a long way to go. But many outlets, I have seen visible change. I have seen noticeable change in hiring practices. Uh, and that's that's. I, I, I just find this kind of confusing for one reason. I freelanced for many many years, and I can tell you that three quarters of the people who hired me, art directors, graphic designers, picture editors, were women. And, and this goes back, this isn't just the past five years, I'm going back 25, 30 years that invariably I'm dealing with women who are doing the hiring. I would say that 20 to 30 years ago, we started seeing that shift in the industry. And now, yeah, you look at the DOPs of every major newspaper and magazine in America, the Washington Post, the New York Times, National Geographic, Time Magazine, they're all women. So that, I mean, you know, that is sort of the first step of change is having women in power who can start to change the dynamic. Maggie Stever, one of, I mean, one of the heroes of the photojournalism world. But... These aren't just problems within our industry, these are problems within our country, within our society. And one thing on the, the topic of uh, making headway, this morning I was looking at, I don't know, was Gizmodo or Petapixel, one of those sites? F-toppers, Nikon, yeah. You saw it? Oh, yeah. 30 guys, no women, right? 32. 32? 32. 32. Oh, okay. So, mathematically, if we take into account the fact that 15% of news photographers are women, there should have been at least four in that group. And yet, it's someone, someone looked at that matrix of men and said, yeah, this is good to go out. This is great. So someone looked at that and approved it. And we need corporations like Nikon to be leading the pack when it comes to positive change in our industry. We don't need them at the rear. Um, and it's really disappointing to me. Nikon has been great in a lot of ways. They support the Eddie Adams Workshop, which is such an institution yes. of helping and supporting young photographers. For them to do something so egregiously tone deaf is really disappointing to me because that, that should not, and, and their apology was just such a non, oh well, they dropped out at the last minute, so, so try harder. That's, that's, that's my resounding mantra is just try harder, do better. The, uh, the work uh, running women photograph taking too much time from your own photography? It is, but I'm okay with that. I, I am still trying to maintain my practice as an independent documentary photographer. I just spent a month working in Australia. Um, it, it, this is a second full-time job, so I do not sleep much anymore. And I think I'm also seeing concrete change. Um, you know, I think we're having real conversation. You know, one of the reasons why I did this was I was tired 
I've, I've always been very outspoken. I don't like keeping my mouth shut. And I've been on so many panels about diversifying the industry. And I was done being on panels. I don't want to talk anymore. I wanted something to actually happen that was concrete. Yeah, exactly. I wanted, I wanted to have the thing to drop on the desk. So um, now that I have that resource, it has actually changed the nature of the conversation. It's no longer, well, what do we do? It's here's what you do. And so, you know, I, the database was originally the main product of Women Photograph, but now we also have a grants program. These are our four inaugural grantees um, funded by the Pulitzer Center and ONA. Uh, we have a mentorship program that's going to launch next month. We have a travel fund for non-Western photographers to access things like Photoville, like Eddie Adams, like Perpignan, things that would be too expensive to get to normally. Um, there's one more initiative. Oh, and we're, and we're also doing a bunch of statistics collections so that we have hard data because it's it's hard to talk about some of these things without numbers. I like numbers. I like, you know, it's hard to argue with cold there facts. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much, Dan. Thank Pleasure you. talking with you. Nice talking to you, too. Okay. Thank you. Next, we visited the exhibition titled Athlete Human, which was curated by Maureen Cavanaugh and Nate Gordon, the director of photography for the Players' Tribune, one of the most interesting platforms in sports journalism to come out in a long while. Here's Nate. What is the Players' Tribune? Because it's an interesting concept. Yeah. So the Players' Tribune was founded by Derek Jeter um, nearly three years ago, right when he was retiring from baseball. And it's a platform for athletes to tell their own stories to fans um, using all different means. I mean, we have great first-person articles with amazing behind-the-scenes photography with athletes. We have podcasts. We have video. We have cool social-only multimedia stuff. So we're really trying to work with the athletes together to tr kind of figure out how to get their stories out in all different ways. This is less filtered is what I'm gathering. Is that correct? Exactly. And I think the cool part of our process is that the players are involved. They have input. They're looking at the photos and deciding which ones we use. They're going through their stories together with a producer of the site and kind of really crafting that piece together. They're actually sitting down with, uh, with us and saying, you know, this is the video that I want to do. Here's how we should put it together. So it's really a collaborative process, and that's really the exciting part of it. Now, now Jeter's name is, is the big name on top of the billboard, okay? Did it start with him, or did it start elsewhere? And where were the seeds of this? Where was the it's, first conversation? It really started with Derek and um, Jamie Messler, who's our president. They founded it together, and it was sort of an idea that they hatched while he was you know, kind of thinking what his next move was going to be. And um, I think he saw sort of a fractured media landscape. It was tough. He didn't share much with the fans, you know, as we all know very famously. And um, I think he's kind of saw an opportunity to bring something that can actually bring fans and athletes together in a, you know, more meaningful way. I now, mean, you said that they have obviously somebody of high profile says something that could be misconstrued. The press takes it and runs with it. Now you're dealing with players more directly talking to their fans uh, on different levels. Is there still some kind of an editing process going on there just to make sure that they don't say something that will bring yeah, the house yeah, down? Yeah, I mean, we, we definitely we have a very savvy team of producers, and we're, we're working hand-in-hand -hand with the athletes and teams and leagues. You know, we, we know what we're doing. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it's telling stories and... Um, and, and everybody sort of has a real expertise at that. Is this your first time in a show of this type? Yeah, it is. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, it is. So it was hard because we've been around for almost just about three years, two and a half years. So um, this is sort of a culmination for us of, of all the great stuff we've been doing. And it was hard because we've, we've done a lot of great content. So um, it was interesting to kind of go through all of the stuff we've done and try to winnow it down to a representative grouping of photos. But... Um, we're excited how it all came together. Uh, and the photos here, 
represent, well, first of all, are all the photos here have been published on the, in the Players' Tribune? Yeah. And they represent pretty much what you guys are up to, right? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a myriad of things we do. We do a lot of stuff on just our social channels, or we do stuff on the site. We, we do longer sort of um, storytelling pieces and multimedia pieces. So there's a little bit of all that here. Um, the kind of our bread and butter are the longer form written pieces that, um, that you kind of can sit with for a while. And with those, we really love to have a nice behind the scenes shoot with an athlete so that you really get a sense of what their life is like off the field. We don't see that that much in media these days. So to be able to get a look at what Danica Patrick's shopping experience at the supermarket when she's getting ready to cook her dinner is like, that's interesting, you know? How does she take the turns with the cart and the oils? I'm great just question. curious. Yeah, great question. I don't know, probably pretty fast. Probably pretty fast. And have you had athletes uh, shoot? Yeah, we've had athletes shoot. We, we had um, Kevin Durant shot the Super Bowl for us. That was kind of our biggest. Um, just last weekend, we had Kyle O'Quinn of the Knicks was out shooting the U.S. Open. Um, so we, we've done a bunch of that. And um, it's always an interesting experience for them. I think for us who've been in in sports photography for so long, you know, we have one sense of what it's like. And I think they're really excited to see photos a lot. But then when they actually sit down and start actually trying to take the photos, it's a whole different experience. They're like, man, this is really hard. And did you come out of traditional sports photography background? Yeah, I mean, I was at Sports Illustrated before this for 14 years, I think. So um, my, yeah, my experience is all is very sports. What's been the, the greatest thing about working at the Players' Tribune or the most surprising thing or is it kind of what you wanted to do yeah. that you couldn't do at sports? I mean, this is like for, for photo people, this is like a dream scenario because you're, you're right there with the athletes kind of talking about what their story is going to be about and collaborating to try to figure out how to bring that to light. Um, so, so for us, it's like we keep pinching ourselves because we just, at SI, you know, that's a really big name in sports and we... Players Tribune, we get amazing access that we could never get at SI. And it's it's because we're in on the ground floor with the athletes forging that relationship. And how's this going so far? I mean, I know it's the second it's day. It's going great. The feedback's been great. I mean, one thing that's uh, that we really looked to do was to involve a lot of different photographers that we work with, a real diverse array. So we have, you know, Pete Souza um, shot Big Poppy for us and Deanne Fitzmorris who um, shot Cape Cod baseball, and we have um, Simon Broody who shot that Danica picture over there. So it's a real wide array. Um, you know, we work a lot with Walter Yost, who is my 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 boy from the SI days, and it's great to have him with us here too. Um, but also working with a lot of young photographers and uh, and watching them grow has been amazing. And you assign you assign stories to photographers just like you would a Sports Illustrator. Yeah, all the time. I mean, we have an in-house crew. Our, our chief staff, staff photographer is this guy Jed Jacobson, who's very well known. Um, he has a bunch of photos here. They're amazing. He's just he's been killing it for us. Um, and we have a couple other younger staff photographers, but we also hire out all the time. We're doing a lot of assignment work. It's great. Any big projects coming up on the horizon you want to talk about? Um, we're really just, we're focused on social media. Basketball and soccer are the two that are just blowing up everywhere. So, you know, working with an athlete who has 20 million followers on Instagram and uh, they share that photo and suddenly everything goes nuts, you know. So it's been, it's been wacky.
Next door to the Players' Tribune container was one maintained by Sergeant John Martinez of the United States Marine Corps. The images in this exhibit, including a couple of shots by Sergeant Martinez himself, were mostly taken during boot camp exercises, and they document the rigorous training that goes on in serving as a Marine, as well as the varied work they do outside of the field of battle. Uh, we're surrounded by photographs that are extremely powerful. Some of them look like movie stills, um, and all of them are executed beautifully, and they all have to do with training of Marines. Um, you, you know, you hear about it. Now, I, I personally never went through a, a, a military training, but I'm looking at what's going on here, and you have to be tough to get through this, and it says a lot for the people that serve, the men and women who serve. Also, it's important to note that there are a lot of women, a lot of female Marines uh, illustrated here fighting side by side. All the photographers are Marines. Yes, sir. Uh, all of them are Marines. Uh, right now, uh, there's two different uh, MLSs. There's a combat camera, and then there's public affairs. Uh, starting October 1st, they're going to merge the two MLSs, and they're, we're going to be known as, uh, I believe it's mass communicators. What's an MLS? MOS is um, military occupational uh, specialty, or pretty much what your job is in, in the military. Uh, so originally, uh, my job was a graphic designer for the Marine Corps, a graphic specialist. Uh, but every now and then, uh, when need be, they'll call us to pick up a camera and take photo and video. So. And is this mostly for what we could call PR, public relations, or are there other purposes for these photos in general? Uh, the purpose for these photos being here today in Photoville is to show, uh, showcase the fighting spirit of the Marine Corps, uh, show um, that how we make Marines, that we win our nation's battles, and then we return quality citizens to the community. Uh, so that, that's what these uh, photos are here showcasing today. And from what I'm looking and what Alan indicated, most of these are during training sessions, correct? Uh, are any of these in live action? Uh, some of them are actually uh, on deployment. Uh, in fact, the second to the last one uh, with the helicopter in the background, that was on, taken on deployment. Uh, the one on the far left, uh, which is mine, uh, was taken on, on deployment as well. So some of them are, are training, some of them on... Uh, is there a marine photographer working during uh, deployment usually? I mean, during yes. so, most situations, is there a marine photographer on duty? Yes, what happens is uh, we get attached, like we have a, a shop, and uh, units usually request a photo and video uh, uh, marine to attach to them. Uh, so that's what happens is we get assigned and we get attached to a certain unit and we follow them wherever they go uh, and uh, go out and document overseas and battle, just anything they're doing, humanitarian efforts. Um, so yes, that's what usually happens. And are, are you guys involved right now with any of the, uh, the efforts regarding the hurricanes? Uh, is that something the Marines get involved with? Uh, I have seen uh, Marine units down there. Uh, I'm not sure which units exactly, right off the top of my head. Um, but I'm pretty sure they do have uh, a combat photographer with them. So. And did you curate the show? Did you select the images? Uh, it, was a, it was between myself, uh, some other Marines, and the ad agency, J. Walter Thompson, that, that we work with. Um, oh, okay. uh, we collaborated and, and picked the, the best ones. So. Now, you, you bring up an interesting point. Uh, all of the armed forces use advertising agencies and there's huge advertising budgets. Are many of these 
photographs taken with that in mind, knowing that it could be used for this? Because the, the caliber of this photography is very high. This is not snapshot. The compositions are beautiful. The use of optics, the right lenses at the right time, these are very, very well crafted images altogether. And there is a very polished look about it that could th these images could very easily slip into advertising. Is that part of the goal? It, it, it kind of is part of the goal. Uh, what we like to do is, is content collection. Uh -huh. And that's going around in, in different units and seeing what they have as far as photos, for instance, in uh, the showcase. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, but the Marines, they're, they're professionally uh, uh, trained. In, at uh, Dimpos, which is at Fort Meade, Maryland. Mm -hmm. So they are taught how to use the camera, how to to know which lens to select, to know the camera. How long is the training program? Uh, it depends. Uh, uh, mine was about a month and a half, uh, I would say, uh, but it all depends on what job right. uh, you're going to go into. Because it could be, uh, I think, I'm not sure, and I don't want to quoted me on it, but I, I think I've heard some being like three to six month long uh, courses that that's more advanced uh, uh, training that they've gotten. By the way, not for nothing, I went to uh, uh, two schools for photography and the high school I went to, the book that my teacher used for a lot of the most basic and advanced stuff was from the U.S. Navy. And they have a very comprehensive set of manuals on photography. I don't know, what, I imagine they've updated it since then. Oh, yes. But it was actually the basis for the whole photo curriculum in my school was the Navy manual on photography. And it was pretty interesting book. Yes, and then everybody sought the very basics. And then once they get out, obviously they uh, get uh, Marines that have been in a while, and they become mentors, and they, they teach the Marines tricks and, and the uh, trades they've learned by experience. And that's the same thing what I'm doing. I hope to uh, be an instructor over at Nippos to teach Marines how to take photos, how to take video, and become designers uh, in the Marine Corps. So. so I've been complimenting the photographs. Obviously, you use good gear. What kind of camera equipment does do the Marines supply you with? Uh, usually, from what I've seen uh, from experience, uh, Marines usually use uh, Canon 5Ds. Uh, okay. uh, I've known uh, the most recent ones I've seen is the Mark Threes, is what I'm using. Okay. Uh, uh, but there's always been the Mark Twos, which is the, I'm pretty sure they're moving away from that. Um, they're always constantly yeah, that's trying ancient to technology, oh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're so they're trying to update and constantly update it and uh, do research every now and then. They'll give uh, new camera gear uh, out to certain units, have them test it give them back a feedback of what they think of the equipment, and if it's good enough for the Marine Corps, then they end up starting to get some more and start issuing them out. So, so everything that you guys use is issued? It's issued, yeah. everything's issued. It's serialized and, and everything is issued. So, so. Great stuff, all right. Sergeant Martinez, thank you very, very, very thank much. Thank you. Okay. Highlighting the diversity of the work on display, as we left the USMC container, we passed exhibits presented by Doctors Without Borders, one titled China Through Chinese Eyes, and one on the daily life of five West African women, and one featuring coverage of the recent unrest in Charlottesville. And we wrapped up our chats with a visit to an exhibit entitled Newest Americans, featuring the work of Ashley Gilbertson, Sarah Grossman, Julie Winokur, and presented by Talking Eyes Media, Rutgers University, Newark, and the Seven Photo Collective. 
We spoke with Rachel Dennis about this multimedia exhibit that attempts to chronicle the immigrant experience from the vantage point of the most diverse campus in the United States, Rutgers University, Newark, New Jersey. Tell us about the newest Americans. Who, what, what's this about? Who sponsored it? Who started it? Where are the seeds? And where are you going? We're going a lot of places. Um, this project started about three years ago. It's a collaboration between Talking Eyes Media, which is the documentary production arm of the project, Seven Photo Agency, and Rutgers University, Newark. So Tim Raphael is the executive director of the whole project. He's a professor at Rutgers. This was his brainchild. Um, this and is Rutgers in Newark, correct? Yes, New Rutgers New University, Newark. Yep, okay. Yes, it's the most diverse campus in the country. So it's kind of a microcosm of this minority-majority phenomenon that we're seeing in our country's demographic that in a few years is going to be kind of throughout. Um, so we're kind of taking a close look at this community and um, getting to know these different um, different groups of immigrants that are in Newark, New Jersey. So Tim is good friends with my boss, Julie Winoker, and Ed Cashy of Seven. And so it was conceived about three years ago. And since then, we've been growing uh, exponentially. <laughs> So Newark really is, from what I understand, a melting pot as far as what this country is about right now. What are some of the stories that you have here from what people's backgrounds here? So we've got a lot of different people represented here. One of our uh, longest going stories is called American Sueño. It's a serialized documentary about an undocumented law student who's not actually a recent graduate. She graduated just this past summer. She's part of a mixed status family. She has DACA right now. Her parents are undocumented. She has citizen siblings. So it's kind of a mixed group. So we're kind of um, seeing how our immigration system in this country is affecting a family of people who have all different kinds of privileges and lack thereof. Um, so that's a series. We have, uh, I think, four, four or five chapters of that now that are available at newestamericans.com. In this video loop, you'll see the first one. It's called Meet Marisol. And um, last night, we screened our latest installment at opening night, which is called Undeterred. It's Marisol's response to the election as, a, as an undocumented youth. Is this mostly still imaging or is it a video or a combination of the it's two? Combination. So you'll, you see a lot in here, you see all of these prints. So Seven produces a lot of these still images, but Talking Eyes produces a lot of these videos. So we have like- Seven is the photo agency, seven is the photo let's qualify agency. that. So those, all of the photos here you see are by photographers from Seven Photo Agency, except for one, I think, by Gareth Smith. Uh, he's a South African photographer. Um, but you also see just as much video work are there books being published as well, or is this just you know, how, how do most of these photographs being shown? So this is a primarily web-based project, and it's also geared towards curriculum. So as of now, no, there are no books published from Newest Americans. There is an online magazine at newestamericans.com where all of these are published. Um, we've also had some galleries. We'll be having a gallery actually featuring immigrant de detainees. Um, we're printing these life-size portraits and pairing them with audio interviews where you can text a phone number with that person's name and receive a callback and actually hear them share their story of being in detention. So we have those kinds of exhibits. We have the online thing. Also, a lot of our stories have been redistributed, a lot of them on the Atlantic, a couple in the New York Times Lens blog, um, The Guardian, you know, a handful of places. Yeah. Great. Okay. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank Great you so project. much. Yeah. Thank you. 
When we finished our chat with Rachel, John, Jason, and I took part in the exhibit's interactive aspect, and we recorded the stories of our family's arrival to the United States and finished with a B&H photography podcast, Group Self Portrait. And then it was off to the beer garden for a brew. One of the things that struck us was that it seemed that in every other container that we stopped in to look at exhibits, we were running into people who have been on the show, who have been mentioned on the show. And uh, it's really nice to know that the podcast really is part of the greater photographic community. Okay, that wraps up another episode of the B&H Photography Podcast. If you're in New York this coming weekend, be sure to visit Photoville in Brooklyn. And for our listeners around the country and around the world, there are now Photovilles in seven cities and soon to be in ten, including one in Calgary, Canada. So attend one. And if that's not possible, find a photo festival, an exhibit, or a workshop near you and indulge your passion in photography. On behalf of John Harris and Jason Tables, I'm Alan Weitz, and as always, Always, thank you so much for joining us today. <laughs>